0: So here we are, we're talking about intelligence, we're talking about thinking, we're talking about systems of intelligence and ways to think in ways that uh, are varied and that improve your use of your intelligence. This may sound really difficult, this may sound really esoteric, and this may sound like it isn't something relevant to you, but it's something that all of us can benefit by. And it's something that is going to improve the work that you do, no matter what kind of work you're talking about, improve the opinions you have, and improve uh, the way that you hold yourself in your life, the way that you see yourself, and the way that you interact with the world. Now, what in the world could be better than that? That's an, an insane goal, to try and work out and be better the way that we carry ourselves and interact with the world. But this is the goal that I have set forward with what I want to say. And it's the goal that I'm going to assume that you have in coming to this opinion, one way or the other, however it is that you've ended up here listening to this. Now, improving your intelligence may seem like something that's not exactly possible, like intelligence is hardwired. Now, actually doing that is something that is not impossible, but is uh, perhaps a bit beyond the scope of what we can do here. But your intelligence is like the engine to your car. How smart you are Uh, However, it is that you're going to quantify the notion of smartness, of intelligence. How smart you are is like the size and power of the engine. There are certain things that you can do as far as mental hygiene goes that can improve the way you're taking care of that engine. And we can get into that for sure in the next uh, few lectures. And there is uh, certain things that you can do to improve the performance of that engine, and that's thinking. If your intelligence is the size of the engine, is the power of the car, the thinking is the driver. The thinking is the way that you are imply is the way that you are applying that intelligence, the way that you are deploying your knowledge. Now, a lot of us tend to think that we go to school to become more intelligent, or we go to school in order to know more. And I'm not super concerned with what somebody knows, with uh, the facts that they hold, with the amount of information that they're keeping and have access to inside their own brain. I think that there's not a lot of reason to be overly concerned with that in this day and age. I I think that by the time you um, graduate and go to college that you probably know enough. You probably have enough going on in there. Just through your regular experiences, your regular consumption of media, your regular uh, reading, your interaction with people, and your understanding of of the world, uh, that's enough knowing to be able to deal with. But if you can improve the way that you're thinking, the way that you're accessing and deploying this information, uh, that knowing will build. That's going to take care of itself. That's a natural thing. That's something that... Every single person does whether they like it or not. Our brains are made to soak up the world around us. And as a matter of fact, we spend a lot more calories filtering out things from the world around us just to make it where our brains are functional than we do in uh, processing and understanding that world around us. So I'm not super concerned about that. And I don't think that you should be either. I think that you should understand that if you want to know more and you want to learn more that you need to follow your curiosity you need to follow your interests and you need to be reading a lot and that's up to you that's not something that I can do for you but your system of thinking the way that you think through the things that you know the way that you deploy the ideas that you have that's something that I think I can help you with and that is our purpose here what I hope that you understand coming into this is that you are aware that your thinking and your thoughts are not you. That you're aware that your feelings aren't you and that you're aware that your idea of who you are is not you. I'm probably asking a really big favor there to have that be what you're coming in with, but it'll be a lot more helpful if you at least fake it till you make it on this stuff. Try and understand that what you think is not the only point of view that it is not factual that what you feel while you while you have a right to your feelings and while they do tell you something that they don't tell you the god's honest necessary objective truth sometimes they do sure but you know a broken clock is right twice a day they say um Sometimes your thoughts tell you the absolute truth, sure, but most of the time we are wrong. And I'm talking historically here, most of the time everyone is wrong. In some way or another, their idea can be refined, the way that they're thinking can be improved, uh, the thoughts that they're feeling, I'm sorry, the feelings that they're feeling are not illuminating something uh, that, is, that is purely conceptually true. Now, we can get into this binary notion of truth and a lot of critical reasoning, a lot of the history of critical reasoning and the history of philosophy is concerned with this notion of of a binary truth, that something is either true or not, and that we must chip away at the infrastructure of the untrue in order to reveal what is in fact there and what is in fact true. Now, I am not... Super concerned with that. Uh, in this day and age, there is a lot of intentional misinformation going on. And there is a lot of distraction. And it doesn't even have to be misinformation. We, we learned uh, sometime in the 60s or 70s that doubt is all you need. That once doubt is introduced, somebody can uh, self-deceive into following their feelings, into following their sort of self-identity. And that will allow you to ignore things like warning labels on cigarette cases and to ignore things like the statistics of gun violent deaths and to uh, ignore things like um, rules and, and uh, stories about driving drunk and to circumnavigate these notions of, of truth just because you doubt them. So that, that is concerning, and we are going to talk about that. But what I mean to say is that one absolute truth does not always need to be delineated. If we're talking about something like, is COVID-19 a hoax or not? Um, again, the, that's silly, and uh, it's unfortunate that we have to be distracted into having some sort of conversation about that. But what I'm hoping to do is draw us away from that bait, draw us away from these um, uh, factual doubts and draw us towards a system of thinking and deploying knowledge that is effective and meaningful and allows for certain shades of difference in truth. And all of this is going to be demonstrated. It sounds very esoteric, but we'll get into the nitty-gritty of this and it's going to be awesome. Anyone can use their intelligence better. Anyone can improve their thinking methods. Anyone can step away from their ego about their intelligence and make more effective decisions by placing a distance there. And I am not exempting anyone here. I'm not exempting myself. I'm not exempting Einstein. I'm not exempting um, any great thinker throughout history. In fact, uh, we can go down a rabbit hole of stories where great and famous thinkers were dreadfully wrong and let their egos get in the way and stopped their progress that they were making uh, with their own thoughts. Um, that would be fun. We can get into some of that. Our perceptions are not reality. This is something that the Eastern thinkers have been onto for a very long time Um, we we can look at Eastern and Western philosophies as two very large groups and uh, make some some very generalized distinctions between them but one of the more interesting aspects of Eastern philosophy and I'm talking about from thousands of years ago from the antiquity of writing is that they were very on to something that our perceptions that is what it is that comes into us through our senses, is not something objective and does not illuminate something that is necessarily true and unchanging. That instead, we are something that is in a very changing world. And we are experiencing a very changing world around us. Where Western philosophies wanted to isolate what it was within us and what it is without us that is true and unchanging, what it is that is hardwired into our mainframe, what it is that we know for certain, and, and equating that with a sort of moral law, a, a sort of goodness that penetrates all of our being. The Eastern philosophers weren't super caught up in that, and again, speaking very generally here, Eastern philosophy tended to want to show the ways that the changing world is our home, and that we have to be part of that changing world if we're going to be uh, comfortably interacting with it. So our perceptions are not our reality. Our perceptions feel very real, but you have to remember that your perceptions, your senses, evolved over millions of years as a survival mechanism. And you have to remember that evolution is always just enough. Evolution was not some sort of a magic wand that brought you from point A to point Z right away. There are all these sorts of different points along the way, and it's always a just-enough type situation. Uh, If it wasn't a just-enough type situation, there would really just be one sort of supreme animal that can think the way we do and attack the way a tiger does and swim the way a shark does and fly through the air the way an eagle does or whatever and of course see what i'm doing here i'm I'm, i have this proclivity to put um uh, our intelligence above others to put uh predatory instincts above others what did i mention there an eagle a tiger and a shark and us i mean those are things that we see as being at the top of the food chain and as, as some sort of superior beings by our own sort of standards whereas uh perhaps evolutionarily speaking uh trees have done really well i mean sure uh, we've, we've certainly taken a hit on, on uh, the number of trees in the world, but there are somewhere in the nature of 400 billion trees in the world, which is a lot more than there are people, and trees don't really have to go out of their way to have their needs met. They stay put, and they let the world come to them, and they communicate along lines of my, mycosilium under the ground, and they... Um, Uh, communicate through the air through their pollen and they they chill they chill real real good and uh, exert very uh, little in the way of uh, influence um, from an individual tree on the world around it but as a mass have changed the entire atmosphere to be more um, beneficial to the species so yeah, trees are doing pretty good. My point is that evolution only brings you so far. And that people in our senses are limited by the way evolution has brought us here. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's something I've talked about before. Is that, you know, you, you wouldn't be scared of, of bugs if it weren't for evolution. You wouldn't be scared of flying if it weren't for evolution that um, the statistics tell us that that flying on a commercial airline is one of the safest places that you can be on the world. Um, if it weren't, if 99.9% of flights were completely safe and 0.1% of flights um, ended in a, a crash, um, we would have 400 crashes a day and we aren't coming anywhere close to that in commercial aviation. Uh, So statistically, you should know that you are perfectly safe in the air and that you are not going to die up there and everything's hunky-dory. But instead, there are people who are scared to death of flying. So our perception only takes us so far. Our perception does not illuminate facts for the most part. We can game our perception to better focus on facts. We can better see the world around us through our perceptions if we know what those limitations are. many of us are just go through life unaware of this because frankly it's too much effort and the environment through which we are immersed and that that counts the culture through which we are immersed uh, also changes what our perceptions are our perceptions have a lot to do with our likes and dislikes they have a lot to do with the way we see ourselves a lot to do with how we grew up with the values that were instilled with us, with uh, what was important to our parents and how our parents saw themselves and the kind of resilience that was implanted in us through our parenting. Um, for example, if, if two kids grew up and uh, just happened to, to, to be a very similar DNA and, and just happened to be a very similar like you know performance in school and sports and everything else, and one child's parents... Um, were endlessly approving of them and the other child's parents were endlessly critical of them, the first kid is actually going to be a lot more ready for the world than the second. So there's all sorts of influences that go into us uh, from the get-go that we can deal with now, but we can't help the fact that we must deal with it. We must deal with our, our cultural um, behaviors. We must deal with our, uh, the way we were raised. We must deal with the privilege that we have or the privilege that we're missing out on. So the same way that we must deal with all of those things, we must deal with the limitations of the way that we think. We must deal with the fact that anecdotes are much more powerful to us than statistics. We must deal with the fact that we like stories, that stories make sense to us, and that stories hold power for us. We must deal with the fact that doubt holds a terrific sway in our minds, and that, that doubt is compounded in power if it points towards something that is forgiving of us, something that uh, lets us see ourselves in a better light. We can let go of the humanity of one of our fellow people if we can see enough differences. Enough obvious on the surface differences that make very little difference, you know, genetically or experience-wise or or feeling-wise or anything else. We can completely let go of their humanity. So we must deal with these things. We have to deal with these conditions. Otherwise, we we have nothing. Otherwise, we we swim in this sea of ignorance, for which our senses and our perceptions have uh, immersed us. Now, that sounds pretty pretty drab, pretty dull. But dealing with this and addressing it and fine-tuning our systems of thinking and our systems of critical reasoning is going to improve the quality of our lives. Now, let me give you, with all of that in mind, uh, a story that will probably be powerful and illustrate the way that our perception is nothing like uh, what reality is in many cases. If you're like me, you probably mostly think of metal and steel as something quite solid. Metal and steel is something hard, immovable, as um, stable, strong, inflexible. that it, like we see ourselves, as unchanging. It is hardwired into our reality. metal and steel. And I rem- am just old enough to remember when it became a law in California to wear a seatbelt. And uh, the boomers out there, my parents included, felt like this was a completely unjust thing put upon them. That this was uh, took away their agency and took away their, um, their decision-making prowess. Uh, because now you have to wear a seatbelt and you can get a ticket if you don't. And that seemed really unfair. that sound familiar in the COVID age? Um now my parents weren't, you know, anti-maskers in that sense or anti-seatbelt, but they had a handful of anecdotes of when, you know, sometimes not wearing a seatbelt has saved someone's life when when being thrown clear of the wreckage was what the person needed in order to survive. Now yeah, those in those stories held some sway. My dad had one. My dad had one that he was in an accident in a Volkswagen bus, and the entire front of the bus was completely caved in well past the driver's seat, but that at the moment of impact, my dad was thrown out of his seat and into the back of the bus where he survived. Now, that's compelling. That's a powerful story, and that made me think, wow, seatbelts aren't always right. And... uh, if, if you're anything like me as a kid, you used to think, what's the big deal about a car accident? Anyway, I'll just brace myself with my arms or whatever. What's really hard to wrap your mind around, unless it's happened to you, what's really hard to wrap your mind around is how much reality changes when you're going at a certain speed. You don't even have to be going very fast. Anything over 20 miles an hour and the physics that you were involved with are completely different than anything that your senses have prepared you for. Now, difference in physics with our perception is a wonderful thing to talk about. I can get lost forever talking about the way that time and space relate, and the way that time slows down or speeds up depending on how fast you're going, or how far you are from each other, and uh, what direction you're going, that, that time literally... Um, changes in ways that is impossible for us to really perceive because we're just not wired that way. Our senses didn't need it. We evolved in a way where we did not need to know that time is alterable. We evolved in a way where we did not need to know that steel and metal are things that are alterable. And we evolved in a way that we did not need to know what happens to objects that are going a lot faster than 20 miles an hour. So you're in a car, and you're going fast, and it does not feel like it. Your perception is very forgiving, and it brings you back to this sort of state where you understand that you're going really fast, intellectually, but it doesn't feel like it. And yet, the world that you're interacting with is completely different. Now, for example, and I I don't have the exact numbers on hand, don't make me look stuff up, I find that very irritating. For example, if you're standing at a train station and a train passes you at 100 miles an hour, it is literally shorter to you standing at the train station than it is to the person in the train car. Now, not a lot, and it's really hard to measure, and it's undetectable, but it's literally shorter to the person standing outside who's not moving than the people inside with the movement. And you're like, oh my god, is this really what we're talking about? Okay, so let me get to the story the world around us is different than we perceive it. So one day when I was 18 years old, my family was driving from California to Texas in order to go to my grandpa's funeral. So it's already a sad story, right? We didn't wanna do this, but we're on our way and uh, we're driving through uh, New Mexico and my dad and I are taking turns on this drive because uh we drove all the way through the night my dad stayed up and drove and now it's the morning and i'm driving and my whole family's in the car and it's a an old van this is the 90s and it's pretty empty out on this road at 8 in the morning just inside the border to new mexico and i-40 so i'm driving i'm in the left-hand lane i just happen to be going about 85 miles an hour speed limit 75 so i'm not really flipping out but that's pretty fast Ahead of me is a little red car and ahead of it is a big semi truck. All of a sudden the semi truck pulls into the right lane and throws on the brakes and it's like we passed it going 80 miles an hour like it came to almost a standstill and we zipped on by it. I looked at the truck as I passed by then I looked back ahead at the little red car in front of me and all of a sudden I had this feeling where something was wrong. and What I felt was like I was sick to my stomach, like something ahead of me was making me ill, and I couldn't place it. Something was off about the world ahead of me, and I tried really hard to figure out what was going on. Well, it looked like a flash of lightning, and then it looked like the little red car ahead of me had somehow exploded into two pieces. That wasn't what happened. What had happened was another red car that was exactly like it was coming in the other direction. And I'm going to assume that all three of us were going at about the same speeds, which means that the two cars that were ahead of me hit each other head-on while going over 80 miles an hour. And it took me what felt like a very long time to figure out exactly what looked so bad about the road ahead of me. But I just knew there was something awful. And as you can imagine, split seconds passed with all of this thinking going on. And we got closer and closer, and I realized looking down at my speedometer, going very fast, that there was no possibility that I was going to stop. Stopping was not an option. I couldn't go to the left, there was a drop off. I couldn't go to the right, that's where the truck was. I was going to hit this car or both cars, and I was going to be at the wheel while my entire family died. And it was shocking. It was a terrifying thought, and we got closer and closer, and as we did, the two cars, all four wheels were up in the air uh, as the, the power of their impact lifted them off of the ground, and it was sort of hovering there. It looked like it was in slow motion, and I had this notion that they looked light, like balloons or something, and that we could just hit them and just push them out of the way, so I didn't put on the brake. I, I put on the gas. I went fast. I wanted to push these cars out of the way, which admittedly was a really stupid decision, but here we are. And we got closer and closer. These cars are spinning in the air. They're spinning around each other. And suddenly they part. They bounce off each other, one going to the left, one going to the right. And I think to myself. I'm just going to hit the fronts of them. I'm not going to hit the whole thing, the whole mess. And as I got closer and closer, I went, oh my gosh, I'm just, maybe I'm just going to hit this one and not that one. And then both cars shot out, um, just these big black plumes of smoke that filled the air sort of instantaneously in my eyes. And now I couldn't see. And I was just closed my eyes and waited for the impact. You have to understand that all of this happening in probably less than a second. I have no idea. I was able to think for a very long time. And I came to grips with the fact that this was it. I was cool. That, 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 that we're done here, and that's okay. And I just wanted to miss the next few minutes. Well, with my eyes tightly closed... And uh, my dad yelling something behind me because he saw the whole thing from from the back seat. Um, nothing happened. I went right through. The two cars bounced off each other. One of them scraped the side of the front of our car, and that was it. Just a little light touch, and they, they bounced off each other. And I, I felt like we just like shot into space. I felt like like I was just riding on air. I I, I couldn't believe it. And my dad yelled at me to pull over, pull over. And, um, and so I did. I pulled over and we went back to see if we could help. And um, as we were walking back there, my dad said to me, was that one car or two? And it was funny because that's the same thing that I was thinking um, initially. Was that it looked like one car had somehow split in half. And, um, and I said, two, and because all of a sudden I was sort of unfolding the vision in my head and I was seeing it now. Um, I was able to sort of like uh, go through the memory. And as we walked back there, my dad said, you know this is going to be bad, right? And I said, yeah. Well, I won't get into the nitty-gritty detail of this, and I don't want to be uh, super grim as we talk about critical thinking, but we stood there for two hours and watched four people die. Nobody had a cell phone. This was not the age of the cell phone. If we did have a cell phone, there wouldn't be any reception. It took forever for the ambulance to show up uh, after a trucker um, had radioed them, and uh, it was absolutely grim. These, These cars were turned into something unrecognizable. And the people inside of them, uh, again, to watch a person turn to an object um, was something I had never really done before. And I sat there and watched it happen. And that is when I sort of realized that nothing I had ever experienced, nothing in my genetics, nothing following those strands of DNA up through hundreds and thousands of generations, nothing in my evolution had prepared me for what I saw in those seconds and what I saw in those two hours. Nothing. You think of steel and metal as something hard and unchanging. Well, I don't anymore. I see it as something flexible and bendable and crushable and temporary. I see it as something that is fragile. I see it as something that has been put into a a shape like a jello mold, has been popped into place, and will only be there for a little bit of time. And again, you've probably experienced something similar uh, in, in a, a car accident where, where time speeds up or slows down, and all of a sudden I realized that the way that I was witnessing things, the way that I was witnessing time, was a description at best. That, that time was much more flexible than I thought. It's kind of like, you know, the difference between time when it's Christmas Eve and you, you can't wait to wake up, and time when you're nervous about taking a really hard test that has a time limit on it the the difference in how quickly one passes versus the other and that's turns out that seemed really real to me all of a sudden and my dad and i never agreed about which car was going the wrong way we talked and talked about it one of our last discussions we ever had was about this car accident eventually we always talked about the car accident again And he saw one car going one direction. I saw the other car going the other direction. And again, neither one can be trusted. Because what we perceived was not alike enough to anything else we'd ever seen. So we just made some sort of sense the best that we could. Our brain told us a story about what we had seen. Because it was just too much. So all of a sudden, I realized that um, much of what I took for granted, much of what I took as a sort of static reality, a factual, objective reality about the nature of things and cars and people and time was actually very, very changeable, very bendable. And I don't mean to get depressing or dark or anything like that, but it was formative. Perception has a lot to do with where you are and who you are and how you got there. And that is the tools that you're using to uncover the world around you. It has biases. You must uncover these biases. You must recognize this. You know how hard it is for someone to change their mind? You've had arguments. You've had arguments on the internet. You know that you can't get people to change their mind. And you know you're not going to change your mind. Because the way we have our mind up, made up, confirms something that we think and feel about ourselves. It tells us something about who we are and how we want to see ourselves. It tells us that more than it does about the thing that we're talking about, the thing that we're looking at. And you will find a hill that you can die on every few seconds but it's not necessarily objective reality. So here's what we're gonna focus on. We need to learn how to relocate our attention, how to manage our attention, how to put our attention on the right things at the right time. We need to learn how to refocus the world that we're looking at, how to refocus the things that we're seeing based on new information, based on added information, we need to change our position when necessary. And when unnecessary, we need to be able to go through the act of practicing to change our position, to being able to relocate the way we see things and relocate the point of view that we're bringing to the table. We need to be able to effectively access, analyze, and use factual research to better advise our decision-making. These are the skills that a real education should be teaching you. These are the times that we need to step outside of our experience, outside of what we have learned through our human interactions, and into the world of the academics where we can locate the errors in judgment, the errors in perception, the errors in rhetoric that we deal with every day. And make ourselves into more effective thinkers, more intelligent people, and more uh, effective members of the world that we're a part of. Now if that doesn't sound fun, I don't know what does.